Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5. Actually, we just quoted it, uh, verse number 5. Uh, really, 5 through 8 is what we'll look at today. Uh, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and morrow to thy bones. Okay, verse number eight. What does it mean, health to your belly button? That's what it means. Well, what it really means is that the inner man's going to be strengthened. Here's the benefit. The inner man will be strengthened if I do what? Well, if I trust in the Lord, if I acknowledge Him and let Him direct my paths, and if I'm not wise in my own eyes, but if I actually fear the Lord and depart from evil. Tonight I want to speak on this subject, fighting fair, winning without conflict, or winning at conflict without losing love. Winning at conflict without losing love. So I'm going to talk to primarily married folks tonight. If you're single here, I haven't forgotten you. I thank God for single people. We have a singles weekend at our church this year. Your church has had big singles events. I thank God for single people. And let me tell you this, if you're single, now is the time to start learning the right kind of practices and processes for a really good marriage. Don't wait till your marriage is about over and you're sitting in a pastor or a counselor or a good friend's office somewhere going, can you help me put this thing back together? Better that it never be broken than that it has to be repaired. At our church, we say, men, and I'm from Texas, feel free. I saw some of you like this. He allowed that. Yeah, we're good with that. Better that something never gets broken as opposed to needing to be repaired. Thank you. Yeah, that'll make the short service shorter as well. That, that's, that's really an important key here. So if you're single, learn everything you can about how to have a good marriage. Learn everything you can about to have a, a godly marriage. You say, do you guarantee me that I'll be married? I can't make that guarantee. I don't know that that's God's will for your life. And by the way, you're not less of a Christian if you're not married. You're doing the will of God with your life, serving the Lord with gladness, and at the end of the day, that's all that matters in God's eyes. There's no special line in heaven for the married Christians and the single Christians. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 27, talking about the subject of singleness, I wish everyone was like me. And sometimes we push marriage a little bit too hard on single people, and they can actually jump into a bad relationship because they prematurely feel like this, I've got to do this because there's no one left. And that's really just not the case. So single people, just learn what you can, and the truths of the message tonight can be carried out over every area of life. So let's talk about conflict. What is conflict? The word conflict just simply means to be in opposition to or to be contradictory one to another. We have conflict in every area of life. Now, sometimes I'm a big fan of conflict. I love boxing. 
All right, anybody in here like boxing? I'm a big fan of boxing, me and three, three dudes. All right, good. Well, I like boxing, but I like people to fight fair in boxing. I don't like hitting below the belt. I don't like biting people's ear off. I don't like elbows to the face in the middle of the fight. I like people who will actually fight fair. As a matter of fact, if biting ears is a rule, that's fine. Just everybody should know what the rules are. Let's fight fair. I like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I'm a big fan of CrossFit. Our church yesterday, we had a big activity. We had I think 30 people this weekend do the Murph Challenge yesterday together. If you don't know what the Murph is, you run a mile, you do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then you run a mile again. We, we did that yesterday as a church family, and some of the people that I work out with are, are really like world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu people. I mean, it's impressive to watch those guys. But there's a, there's a way you fight fair, and there's a way that you don't. And I love to watch people practice those things while fighting fair. We need to fight fair. And in our marriage there, here's point number one, there will be conflict. Write it down. There will be conflict. Well, pastor, I don't think we should have conflict. Yeah. Welcome to Disneyland. Let's move back to reality. There's going to be conflict. The issue is not will there or will there not be conflict. Conflict is an absolute certainty. Let me be super candid with you. There is no human relationship without conflict. Friendship, boss to employee, friend to friend, parent to child, husband to wife, boyfriend to girlfriend, conflict is a reality of life. We don't all see things the same way all the time. Conflict, man, I'm nailing stuff, sorry, Ryan. At our church, it's not there. I'm just I'm stuck like in the Canyon Ridge mode. Conflict is a reality. I read the story one time of a, a new rabbi at a synagogue who was who was leading the service, and they got to the end of the service in the time of the final prayer, and half the crowd stood up, and half the crowd stayed seated, and they yelled at each other for five minutes, and they wouldn't pray, you should be seated, those people, you should stand up. It was just going like mad back and forth, and this happened every week. He couldn't get the people to be quiet and just leave in a worshipful attitude, back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. The arguments would go, and finally one day he set up a meeting with the founding rabbi of the church, and he Walked, or of the synagogue, and he walked in and he said, sir, you're 99 years old, you've started this synagogue so many years ago, I need to figure out what the tradition is. The people who sit there in the closing prayer say that's the tradition, the people who stand there in the closing prayer say that's their tradition, which one is it? And the rabbi goes, so, so say that again. He said, well, the people who are seated say seated is their tradition for the closing, tradition for the closing prayer. He said, no, that's not the tradition. He said, oh, so we're supposed to stand during the closing prayer. He said, no, no, that's not their tradition. He goes, well, which one is it? And the rabbi said, tell me again, you know. What do they do? They yell at each other for five minutes at the end of the service. He goes, ah, that's been the tradition. <laughs> Conflict is a reality. You're going to have it. Here's what happens sometimes. You have conflict. You think your world is over. You have conflict, you think your marriage is over. 
You have conflict and you wonder, does he love me anymore? Is she leaving me? Conflict is a reality of your life. It is going to happen. Tim Downs in his book, Fight Fair, said in marriage and life, conflict simply can't be avoided. The goal then is to learn to play the game as pleasantly and productively as possible. Well, the question then has to be asked, why does conflict happen? Why does this happen? Well, we could probably give a long list of things, but in marriages, conflict happens because of finances, parenting decisions, in-laws, sex, authority structure, scheduling, how to use leisure times, personal habits, where the toothpaste gets squeezed, the location of the toilet seat, up or down, whether or not you're allowed to drink out of the milk carton or not. Which in my house you are. I was the only guy in our house, a man with two women. I drank out of it all the time. I think they spit in the milk right after or before I did. Personal habits. At work, it can be conflict over parking spots, your schedule, time off request. There could be any number of reasons that there's conflict. Let's be really honest. Some of you in the last 72 hours had some marriage conflict. Some of you maybe in the last seven hours had marriage conflict. Some of you had some conflict on whether or not to move up when pastor asked you to or not. Somebody looked at their wife and said, hey, baby, let's move forward. I want to, you know, let's just go forward. I'm not moving forward. I don't want to move forward. Come on. Pastor's giving an announcement. You didn't hear a single announcement? Prayer happened. You're not even praying. You're just like, dear Lord, why did I marry such a loser? You're an idiot. I'm not moving forward. I'm moving forward. Conflict just happens. Anything can cause it. Why is there conflict? Number one, you're a sinner. There's conflict because you're a sinner. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3, verse number uh, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If he, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 20, for there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. At work there's going to be conflict, at home there's going to be conflict, because you're a sinner married to a sinner. San Diego is the world's largest military town of any city of any country in the world. There's more active duty military personnel in the city of San Diego than any other town. Didn't know that when I moved there. Probably should have done more research. But it's not uncommon for us to have young couples come, and, and weddings are pretty regular, and oftentimes they're weddings in the pastor's office, or weddings in the parking lot, or weddings, you know, in a van, or whatever. We just have some weird stories about that kind of stuff. People pledge their undying and unending love to each other. And then about four weeks later, they're in church, and they're disheveled, and he hasn't bathed in three weeks, and she hasn't found the iron yet, and, and they come up to me after the service, dragging their way down the, down the aisle way, and they're like, Pastor, can we talk to you? Yeah, sure. What's going on? How are things? Oh. oh. I don't know how to say this. Well, I don't know what it is, so I can't help you till you tell me. You tell me what it is, I'll tell you how to say it. Uh, we fight a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, what'd you expect? Uh, we thought it'd be better than this. Yeah, you remember that part in the pre-marriage counseling when we said, you're a sinner, married to a sinner? 
and you're both going to act like sinners at times, and you need to show grace? Yeah, you, you did say that, right. Remember, I promised you you're going to get in a fight, argument, have conflict. If you don't like the word fight, pick whichever one you like. You remember when we promised you that? Yeah? Okay, that's where you're at. We're going to help you. But just understand, this is a reality of life. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus saved you. You're here tonight. So I, maybe not everybody here tonight understands this. You're a sinner, and because of your sin, God proved His love to you by sending Jesus from heaven to earth to die for your sin, to give you eternal life. You are justified if you're saved in the eyes of God, but you are not yet glorified. You are not yet perfected in the eyes of God. There's still the vestiges of the old man inside of you that affects you, and, and it causes a sense of conflict in your life with people that you love the most. We have conflict because we are sinners. We have conflict because our view is limited. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5, notice our text. says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. We often see things the way we like to see them. We often see things the way that we enjoy seeing them. We often see things with a biased worldview. We lean in our own understanding. How many of you have viewed a situation one way and your spouse views it completely different? My wife doesn't understand my gift to humanity. When I am in the fast lane and people aren't going fast and I flash my lights and honk my horn just to help them on their way. My wife actually, can you believe this? She actually thinks that's rude. And I think it's rude not to do that. Say, so how can you think it's rude not to do that? Well, if I, as a pastor and a lover of Jesus, if I can't do that and they be safe, imagine if somebody who doesn't love Jesus does it. They'll probably yell at them. I just want to get them to the proper lane. I like doing that. I'm a helping person. You see those progressive commercials, the old guys who help people line up right? That's me. Let me line you up in the right lane. You're driving slow. Get out of my way. My wife views it completely different. We've had more than a few less than gracious conversations, all on her part. She, matter of fact, my wife's not coming back in two weeks. Um, no, but, but my wife and I, we just view that a little bit different. I don't, she corrects me, and I walk with Jesus in, in repentance and with tickets. And we have our own view. Why, how does this affect us? What's the cause of the conflict? Well, we're sinners. We have a limited worldview because you're selfish. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 19 says, all seek their own, including me, not the things which are Christ. And we have misplaced priorities. How many of you have ever gotten in an argument within five minutes of the discussion, the dialogue, or the conflict? You forgot what you're arguing about. Now you're just trying to win. Come on, I'm not the only guy in this church that has done that. Like, you forgot what you're even arguing about. There'll be times, and Debbie and I, we have a great marriage. I love my wife dearly. I can't wait for some of you to get to meet her. She's an amazing lady. She's, she's God's gift to me. I'm so blessed to have her in my life. Uh, but there'll be five minutes into a relationship when one of us will look at, or, or an argument, and, and one of us will look at the other one of us, and what are we arguing about again? Because I don't mind keeping the argument going. I just need a refresher. 
Sometimes you argue just to win. And let's be honest about it. Sometimes we argue to prove a point. Oh, this happens all the time. Sometimes we argue to just not surrender. And sometimes we argue because no one's going to tell me what to do. That's really kind of a bummer marriage to be in. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, listen to this verse, verse number 22, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Your marriage relationship should be marked by mutual submission one to another. Now, when something arises and, and, and we can't work through that, then the Bible prescribes a rank and order system of the husband being the one who answers before God to be the one who makes that final call. But understand this, God has definitely called you to mutually submit one to another. Well, she better do what I say. I'm going to make her life miserable. Well, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I mean, that's a really ungodly statement, isn't it? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, so everybody has to know your feelings? At our church, all the men would have just said amen. If mama ain't happy, if, if daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Dads, you can walk through the door of your house and your children can take the temperature of your attitude when you walk in and you're not giving in or surrendering to anybody. Dude, that stinks. And that just proves that we're all sinners in need of some help. I'm not trying to dog you tonight. I just want you to understand the reality that we have conflict because we are sinners and to act like uh, I'm above that or I'm beyond that or I'm never going to have that doesn't help you. It doesn't help your marriage. It doesn't help your community. It doesn't help your place of employment and it doesn't help your church at all. No, you're a sinner in need of grace and in need of help and in need of encouragement and that's why we have conflict. That's why God tells us in his word in Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Your marriage should be marked by seeking peace. How can I live in peace with this individual? How can I live in peace with my wife? How can I live in peace with my husband? Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 9, Sermon on the Mount, introductory statement, blessed or happy are the peacemakers, they'll be called the children of God. No one's ever really called an antagonist a child. Oh, they acted so Christ-like when they caused that argument. Oh, that was awesome. I want to be more like an arguer. Nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever thought that. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. By the way, this doesn't make you weak. This makes you strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Blessed are the peacemakers. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14, follow peace with all men. It seems like most marriages have either an extra, uh, extrovert or an introvert. It's not always the case, but most of the time. The, the, the quiet one, the introvert, is often seen as the peacemaker, and the extrovert is often seen as the, the jerk, boisterous one. Now, this is anecdotal. 
uh, it's, it's, it's been my personal experience that the introverted one is often extremely stubborn because they're a sinner. The extroverted one has diarrhea of the mouth. They say anything that comes to their mind. They just say, like, whatever. The introverted one is embarrassed by 90% of what the extrovert says. I've had, I've had people come up to me. I've had ladies come up to me. Their husband's an extrovert. And they'll just walk up to me like, why did I marry him? I'm like, I've been wondering that forever. No idea. Here's the reality. The cause of conflict is that you're a sinner married to a sinner. The cause of conflict is that you want your way and they want their way. The cause of conflict is that nobody is submitting to one another and everybody is fighting for their territory. You want your marriage improved tonight? Just go home and give up territory. And if everybody goes home tonight and gives up territory, you're going to have an awesome marriage because both husband and wife are giving up territory. Kids are giving up territory. Hey, I just submitted that. I, uh, you want to do that? That's, that? that's good with me. I can do that. Now, don't go home and be like weird about it. Like, what do you want to drink? Oh, I don't know. Whatever. You want to take a shower if you want me to? You're, now you're just a jerk, you know? You're allowed to have an opinion, but if you'd submit on the big issues, and by the way, some of you grew up, because I know a little bit about your background, you grew up in, in, in just different circles that are weird. Oh, see, I have diarrhea of the mouth. You grew up in different circles that are odd to me and my, and my background, and you grew up in circles where men would get up and they would preach about masculinity, and then they would say things like, minister to your wife and give her everything she wants, and, and always be there, and always be amazing, and it's roses on Tuesday, and chocolates on Wednesday, and a new dress on Thursday, and bankruptcy on Friday. Well, I don't, they didn't get to the Friday part, but you get the idea. Just, she's your number one concern. Ladies, please don't live under the delusion that that's reality. I've had pastors and couple speakers talk like that over the years, and I, I remember one time I was a new pastor here in San Diego. My wife and I had no money. We came, we moved from Texas. We had $1,800 a month support. We rented our house for $1,700 a month, which was the cheapest house we could find. And we were invited to a really large couple's retreat. We were, we were at the couple's retreat, no money, barely any food, you know, I, they sold a kidney to get to the couple's retreat for gas money type of a deal. And I'm there at the couple's retreat, and the, this pastor's there speaking, and, and, and the longer he went, the sh the, just the, the worse I felt about myself. I'm like, dude, dude, dude. And then we were with the pastor in the elevator, and I just felt so humiliated, and, and, and just I felt so inadequate. We got to our room that night after way too long of a session. It was like four hours of it. I was like, this is like the, the Baptist marriage death march by the time we got back to our room, and we get to our room. By the way, it's been nice being here. I won't be back in two weeks. Toby's going to be doing a four-week series on apologetics. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love every second of it. And, and I got back to my room, and I looked at Debbie, and I said, honey, I am so sorry. And I was very sincere. This was before I became sarcastic. 
And she said, she said, what are you sorry about? She thought I'd been convicted or something in the message. And the message was too long to have conviction. It like came and it went. I was no altar call. I wasn't sure what went on. It's like after a while, I just kind of fell asleep. And, uh, and I said to her, I said, I'm sorry, I'm never going to be like those guys on the platform are. I, I, I just know me. I'm never going to walk in the house and like fall down and like rub your feet and buff your nails. And, and I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to call you sweetheart and darling and beautiful and precious because that seems odd to me. And odd's the nicest word I could say. It just, it seems dumb to me. I, do you want me to go through the mall and go, come here, precious? That's a dog's name. I'm not doing that. And she looked at me and she, she goes, oh, you're so stupid. I was glad to know we were still married. I said, why? She goes, those guys don't do any of that. Let me just be super candid with you tonight. If you get nothing else, get this. That marriage is work and everybody who talks about it's just working at it. We have conflict and we're working and we're working and we're fighting to work out better and better and better and better. And nobody has it figured out. There's not a single person who does. And if they do, please don't listen to them. My dad's been a pastor for 50 years, just retired, and he told me the other day, he said, son, I was at a pastor's conference, and this guy got up the other day and said, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. He said, she hasn't said a negative word to me, and I haven't said a negative word to her in 30 years. And I said, was he married to a mannequin? I mean, what is that? My dad said, I don't know, but I lost a tremendous amount of respect at that moment. No, we all struggle. We have conflict. You're on good ground if you're struggling. The issue is never the struggle. The issue is the surrender. Just keep struggling. Just keep fighting to make it right. Just keep working. I had a young couple at the gym yesterday ask me, don't go to our church, they're believers. And, and they said, Pastor Chris, they said, Pastor Chris, uh, what's the key to 29 years of marriage? And I said, don't quit in year five. And they said, really? I mean, yeah, if you quit in year five, you'll never get to 27. And they were like, well, no, no, like, what's the real key? Like, yeah, if you don't quit, you just keep moving forward. There's a lot of other things, but don't quit. Well, number three, I got to stop talking. Here's, here it is. Number three, the objective of conflict. The objective of conflict. Often, truth be told, we enter into conflict with hurt feelings, with our minds made up of how things are going to go. How many of you have gotten into, how many of you have gotten into conflict, an argument with your spouse, and before the, the argument started, you already knew what you were going to say, what they were going to say, and how it was going to end? As a general rule, that's every one of us. And we become prophetic in that, don't we? I can already tell you, 90% of the time, what Debbie and I are going to argue about, what she's going to say, what I'm going to say, I can journal the... Matter of fact, every once in a while, when it's getting a little bit heated, I'll say, let's just stop and write down each other's answers. And we're pretty close. You're going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and you're going to say this, and I'm going to prove this from the Bible here, and you're going to say this, and then I'm going to hold the Bible up in the air and tell you to tithe. And she's like, and you're going to be a jerk, and you're going to make fun of my dad, and you're going to say Bakersfield. My in-laws are from Bakersfield. You're going to say Bakersfield is for morons, and you're going to do this, and this, and this. And you're going to want to get in the car and honk the horn. That's what you're going to want to do. You're going to lash out. We're going to leave. We disagree on what words mean. You ever notice in an argument that, that we can't even like, like, did you do that? We'll define that. 
See, you're just wanting to win the argument. You're not really wanting resolution. <laughs> we attach our feelings to words. We rationalize our actions. We fight to prove we're right. We try to punish the other person. We, we pay back for a previous offense. Oh, yeah, well, remember, my wife and I got married in 1994. Remember in 1995? Oh, yeah, it was 27 years ago. Yeah, I know, but remember in 1995, we hold on to stuff. Why? Because often we enter conflict not with the idea of resolution, but we enter conflict with the idea of winning. And often, winning at all cost. The story is often told of a general in ancient Greece whose name is Pyrrhus, his army fought a major battle in his absence, and messengers brought Pyrrhus the news that though his entire army had been wiped out, they had achieved a tactical victory. Pyrrhus responded, a few more victories like that, and Greece will be destroyed. He later lent his name to the term that is still used for a victory that is won at too great a price, called a Pyrrhic victory. I won! but it cost almost everything. I won, but nobody can keep fighting. I won, but there's great disillusion. We need to fight with the right objectives. How do we fight fair? Number one, work for a better understanding of each other. You're going to fight. You're a sinner. It's going to happen. Okay, what's my objective? Work for a better understanding of your spouse. Work to fight, or when you fight, argue, have conflict, you pick your word, it's with the intent of a better understanding of one another. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God's not the author, author of confusion. It is, it is your desire to come to, or your, your, your responsibility to come to a better understanding of your spouse. The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 2, the second part, part B, it says it's the honor of kings to search out a matter. Why is your spouse ticked off about this? Why are they upset about this? Maybe they just watched news or read a Twitter feed that really upset them. That, that, that might need to be discussed. Maybe they, they, they had a conversation with their boss or somebody cut them off. The point of conflict is not division or winning or authority or seniority. The point of conflict is a better understanding of one another. We, we have conflict to better understand one another. How do we fight fair? We fight fair to work to develop greater intimacy. If you'll work your way through conflict, you'll be better off at the end state that when, than when you started. A life without struggle is a life that is soft. We have a statement that we make as pastors sometimes. Faith that is not tested is not trusted. 
My wife, uh, oh man, she's, she's awesome. My wife's not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of heights. You say, why are you afraid of heights? When you're this big, you, you don't think anything will hold you up. Am I right, Sammy? I'm not, I'm not climbing up on, on anything. My, my wife is not afraid of anything at all. So our church sent us to Hawaii. First time we ever went to Hawaii, went to the Big Island. And uh, one of the excursions that Debbie wanted to do was zip lining. And it was like the highest zip line then in, nor- in, in, in the northern hemisphere, or maybe the world. And they had the longest zip line in the world. And they had a weight limit of 275 pounds. And I told her, I don't want to go. And she said, you preach all the time, mutual submission. I said, you could go. She said, what if I find some guy on there and he whisked me away? See ya. (laughs) If heights are required, see you later. See you later. She's like, you don't mean that. I'm like, no, I'll be the best man at the wedding, baby. I'm not wanting to go on this thing. Now, you might not have a problem with that. You might think I'm strange, but that's the way we talk, and and that's the way I was. And so we get there, and I'm telling you, you can gain weight in Hawaii because they have the best pancakes in the world. And so I'm eating pancakes everywhere I can, every car I could find. And I got there, and they had a scale there, and I jumped on the scale. I'm like, look, 276. And the guy's over there, he goes, oh, that's all right, brother. That scale's broken. We don't even care. You're smaller than us. And so I have to jump on this thing, and I have to go on these gnarly zip lines that, that, that are going, and we had some conflict on it. And can I tell you, I went, when we got done, Debbie and I, we were, we were sharing a moment that was super important to her that she knew cost me some, I don't know, years of life. We have conflict because we're working for greater empathy and greater intimacy. Have you ever noticed that marriages and relationships can have a tendency to just divide and break apart? The science word is entropy. It's a thermodynamic quality that, that, that means there's just a gradual decline. And how many times have people sat in a pastor's office or a counselor's office and said something like this, I don't know how it happened. We just seem to grow apart. Yeah, that's a reality. And God brings some conflict in our life or allows conflict in our life, either one. God, God allows that to happen to our life, and, and it really should break off some of the, the arthritis of the relationship and build greater intimacy. We have conflict, and if done properly, it will build greater intimacy with one another. If you and your spouse can understand that conflict is not a, a battle against your spouse, but a battle for intimacy, your marriage is going to be headed in a good direction. And thirdly, we, at the third objective of conflict is to clean up toxic anger. Many folks have found themselves irritated and frustrated to the point of boiling over. There's never a conversation They reject conflict. Nothing is dealt with until they explode. They're not going to say anything. They're going to be quiet until there's nothing left to do but just explode. You ever realize you're 
married to a person that probably views the world vastly different than you. I grew up in a family, my, my, my dad was a pastor, but my grandfather was abusive and an alcoholic. Left when my dad was six years old, my dad's told me some stories really only since uh, in the last two or three years about really what his childhood was like, and it was, it was horrific. My mom was abused her, abused her, entire, her entire life. It was just, she did not have a, a good upbringing at all, was, was raised by an angry German mom, and my mom was very attractive. My grandmother was very unattractive, and my, my grandmother had real disdain for my mom, even when my mom was just a, a, a little girl, four or five years old. And they're both from fighting families. So our family was a little bit like the quintessential, maybe, Italian family, and still kind of is. If you have a problem, you just let it out there. I mean, you don't, you don't hold back. It's not like, hey, we need to sit down and have a family discussion. We never had to sit down to have a family discussion. Every family discussion could be had across the block. I mean, it was like, you could go to the neighbor's house, and we we're still having a family discussion. You didn't miss a thing in our house. I mean, we had cell phones before cell phones because everybody just yelled in the whole community. That was, that was the house I grew up in. If you had an opinion, a thought, or whatever, you just said it. My wife, on the other hand, she grew up in a family where she never heard her parents raise their voice. Never. My in-laws will be married this year, 51 years, and Debbie told me many times, I never heard my parents raise their voice one time, good or bad, passionate or angry, never heard it. She said, but when they would get angry, they wouldn't talk to one another, and they would often get angry and not talk for days at a time. Well, Debbie and I come into a marriage with this background. We come into this relationship where if I have a problem, I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Anybody else raised like me? Okay, good. There's only one of us in the world. Me and, me and Pastor Ryan. That, okay, three of us. And Todd. By the way, congratulations on baby number 42. <laughs> I follow him on Twitter. Like, I thought you just had one like three weeks ago. Like, holy cow. And go ahead. No, that was, that was almost nine months to the day. Uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. My soul repopulating the earth by himself. You're not Adam. Uh, <laughs> be fruitful to, yeah, that's awesome. Tell your wife, congratulations. And we're praying for her. our church is fasting and sending a food pounding. Um, um, but there's like three of that. That was the family I grew up in. That's just who I was. And so my wife, whenever that would happen, Debbie would just cower. Anybody raised in a family like my wife's family where it was super quiet and never said anything, like everybody was just quiet, were any of you even raised? You're like, no, I wasn't raised in any. Is there any other option but those two? Somewhere in the middle, I get it. But, but that's, that's where we were. And so we would come in, and I would say, I would, I would be like, what in the world? And my wife, when we got married, she was a terrible cook. She was like the world's worst cook. My mom was a great cook. Yeah, like, I can't believe he's saying this about his wife. She's watching it. She wrote the jokes. My wife was a terrible cook. She didn't know how to make anything. She burnt grilled cheese. She boiled water till it was gone. She told me one time, I'm going to make you barbecue chicken. Well, I'm from Texas. I know barbecue. And I... <laughs> I'm an athlete. I know chicken. And so I know how they work together. No, she didn't know how to make barbecue chicken. She cut up chicken breast put it in the microwave with barbecue sauce and turned the microwave on and thought that was barbecue chicken. It wasn't barbecue chicken, that became barbecue cement. 
And, and no lie, it was, this is just how my family operates. The first meal she ever cooked for me as, a, as, as my wife, back from our honeymoon and everything. And so I came home from church getting ready to go back and teach at a youth group. And I come home and I go to eat the chicken. And I, and I just start laughing. She's like, why are you laughing? I was like, oh, no, this is a hilarious joke. Where's the chicken? I thought she was messing with me because that's who my family is. My brother would have done that. My sister would have, well, my, my sister, no, my sister would have done that. My mom would have done that for crying out loud. That would have been funny. And so I'm like, where's the chicken? She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, this is, this is like concrete. You can't bite into it. She said, yes, you can. And I'm like, no, you can't. This is the worst chicken I've ever tasted in my life. Again, thinking this is a joke. It was not a joke. She starts bawling. And she's like, Sammy's had this conversation. <laughs> and Debbie's like, Debbie goes, I tried so hard to make something you would like. <laughs> now, Jay's here, he'll attest this. My wife was 5'7 and 98 pounds. There's a reason she was only 98 pounds. She couldn't eat her own cooking. <laughs> and so she's bawling like, I tried to make something that you would really like. And so I responded in Christ-like submission and grace with, you didn't try very hard. <laughs> now, stop being so judgmental. <laughs> I'm teasing, you should be. And, 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 and I'm like, would well, you try it? And she's like, I could eat it. Just with self-will and determination, she took that cancer stick down, man. I'm like, eat another one. And so I'm thinking that, that I'm being funny, and she's thinking that I'm being hurtful, and there was some toxicity raising, not with me, because I was just in the peace of Jesus. <laughs> and, and we had some conflict, and you know what the conflict did? Can I be candid with you? It cleaned up some toxic anger. We didn't fight over it for the next nine months. Three days later, she was joking about it through tears. <laughs> I'm kidding. She wasn't crying. I told her she wasn't allowed to. <sighs> but we're cleaning up some toxic anger. See, conflict's going to happen. And we need to learn to fight fair. And we need to learn in a very real and tangible way the absolute importance of working to a better understanding of each other. So here's the better understanding that Chris and Debbie now have of each other. I cook all of the meat about 90% of the time. I have a weird diet, but I, I cook as much as I can of the meat. She does a good job now. It's not great, but it's good. Food's not important to her. You don't get this size of food not being important. So I cook. I need to strive to have greater intimacy. See, I'm willing, I'm willing to go through the conflict for the product that conflict offers. 
If you're not willing to go through the conflict, you'll never have what Christ-like conflict will offer. And before you think there wasn't conflict, what did Jesus do in the temple? And what did Jesus say to Peter? Jesus literally said to what we would call probably the lead disciple, get behind me, Satan. He didn't say, get behind me, you're acting like Satan. He said, get behind me, you're an instrument of the enemy. That's a conflict statement. Don't go home and say that to your spouse tonight. But it led to greater intimacy. It led to a closer bond. It led to a Christ, in, in Jesus and Peter's way, it led to Peter understanding a Christ-centered worldview about Christ himself. In other words, Peter learned a lot from the conflict that they had. And it, it'll just clean up some toxic thoughts. If I had a dollar for every time in counseling that I dealt with issues from 10 years prior, I think a property in our church would be paid off. It just happens all the time. We're going to have it. We need to work through it. Your marriage is going to have conflict. You're not a loser because you struggle. Don't give up. Don't stop halfway through. Don't quit. Work your way through. Let your mind be challenged. Grow in intimacy. Clean up toxicity. And learn to understand one another in a greater way. Tonight, my wife was going to come with me. My wife loves people. She loves Tiffany. And, and she loves Brenna, and she, she really, really wanted to come. But my wife has the spiritual gift of helps. She, she literally does. If you know Debbie, that's one of her primary spiritual gifts. She just wants to help everybody all the time. To her own detriment, she will do it. It's, it's the spiritual gift of helps gone, gone too far. And so I said to her today, I said, listen, I don't mind if you go with me. I would love for that. <laughs> I don't mind if you go with me. Yeah. I had other things planned, but. <laughs> um, I said, I, I don't mind if you go with me, but I want you to consider a couple of things. You've got this deadline, and you've got this appointment, and you've got this, and you've got this, and you've got this. Is, and this is a conflict conversation. Is your attendance tonight with me, and my mother-in-law is very sick, going to affect the next two weeks of your life in a way that you're going to really regret? And she just looked at me, she goes, she goes, probably, yeah, probably. So once you get what you have to get done today, today, and in two weeks, you can go with me, because next week we'll be in Bakersfield. I said, why don't you do that? Can you do that? Conflict leads to greater understanding, greater intimacy when done right, and it cleans up the toxic nature of the family. And our prayers tonight, you've learned something to be helpful to your marriage and to your family. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.